been doing spreadsheets all day. So my mind is primed to discuss a theory of thinking and thoughts. So I guess uh, for the audience, let uh, we can just summarize that tonight we're going we're to be talking about, I suppose, the nature of thought and the nature of thinking. And uh, in a general sense, I, I forget how we, we got to this point, but we were talking about uh, separating, separating out uh, what we think about when, when we say thoughting as opposed uh, to thinking, which uh, I suppose qualitatively and practically two different things. So I think just for starters, maybe a good way to begin with just to, to pass out what we mean by this or what you mean by this or what I mean by this. And I just want to, you know, for all the, the people who are psychologists and other, other people like that, this is not going to be like a full-on psychology theory lesson. I think it's going to be more practical and more bio-individual, more usable. I know academies, cognitive behavioral therapy stuff. I'm just going to be talking about thoughting and thinking and, and the differences from a bio-individual perspective. So correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a... Christopher Hyatt kind of thing, isn't it? The Christopher Hyatt framing, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's the first place I heard this. I don't remember where he said it exactly, all the places, but it's in one of the black books where he's saying he's distinguishing thinking from thoughting because lots of people think they're thinking, but he refers to actually what they're doing is just thoughting, which I'll, I'll how I do I read a quote from one of his black books? I forget which one it is. He's talking about, uh, he introduces the idea, he's talking about brain pollution and people having polluted brains. So he says, quote, brain pollution, whether on screen or off screen, conscious and unconscious, is the norm, particularly when it comes to thinking, quote, in thinkings and quotes, which we prefer to call thoughting. Thinking is complex and requires work, lots of work. It requires understanding, word usage, history, analysis, logic, proof, etc. Thoughting, thoughting, however, is easy simply requires the repetition of popular cliches, lessons from childhood, consensus, and the opinion of authorities, end quote. So he, there's more to it, but I won't, I won't read it just now because it's out of context. So the basic idea, so thoughting is just things that, I, I would distinguish the difference between thinking being active and thoughting being passive. Not quite correct, but that's a good way to start thinking about it. By the way, thoughting is to be distinguished from thought T-H-O-T, it's not thoughting, that's something else, but it also doesn't have much to do with thinking. So anyway, thoughting, T-H-O-U-G-H-T-I-N-G, not talking about it, it's not internet slang. So anyway, the way I like to frame it is thinking is something that's active, it's intentional, it requires, as he says, our work. You have to actually clarify what it is you're you're wanting to, the problem you're trying to solve, you have to, have to uh, be clear about your definitions. You have to look at the relationships between the different ideas or objects involved or people involved. Thoughting is just words and phrases and shite that just comes up into your head all the time, all day long anyway. So people get people will say, Oh, just I've I've been the classic is I'm overthinking it. Oh, I just think too much, I'm overthinking it. Those people are always thoughting, never thinking, because it's just words attached to emotions. It's that they're kind of feeling with words, or maybe the words are kind of just uh, erupting on top of all these unprocessed feelings, and they usually just go around in circles and OCD loops, or they just, uh, rip, rip. it's never usually useful. It never It's never functional in their life. It's usually a, pay, a pain. So you get people who are, you know, they can't control their own self-talk and things like this. And so what does that mean? That means that words are just appearing in your head against your will. 
So these things are all motivated by whether it's the emotions that are, you know, you've got unmet needs. So they're like genuine emotional problems that you need to solve, but you instead of solving them, you're just thoughting up some words or whether they're, it's just some complete dysfunctional thing that you've had weird mind body habits you've got into. But it's very easy to convince yourself because you're using words, language, concepts, it appears you're using concepts. So you think you're thinking or you thought you're thinking, but actually you're thoughting. So that's a kind of a, how I frame the difference in sort of normal life. I'm not going to go into obviously technical explanations of either. doesn't really matter. So for me, the goal is to stop thoughting and start thinking more. And to do that, you, well, like in our sphere, when people realize that they're overthinking, quote, when they're overthinking, really they're, they're thoughting, when they have out of control negative self-talk, usually the methods people gravitate towards are things to just destroy the words in their head. They want to get rid of language, you know, stop thinking. It's always anti-intellectual solutions, you know, whether some kind of meditation or, you know, like really stupid uh, interpretations of Indian mysticism where you're just not to think and all just happen, you know, all this kind of stuff. But there's another way you can, you can go from thoughting to thinking, which is to start learning to organize and uh, manage your self-talk by actually applying it to things, by reasoning about things and being clear about definitions and the relationships between things and actually try to solve real problems by thinking it through, figuring things out. That has a real world action. Action is important for real thinking. Soul is kind of directed to action. Otherwise, it just goes around in circles in your head. It's like the thinking, thoughting part is like kind of the middle part of the process. There's like you're in the world and you want to do something and then you use them as tools to go back into the world and do what it is you want in the world. But if people are thoughting, usually it's just they're stuck in the middle part of that process where the words are just going round and round and they become an end in themselves rather than a tools for doing things. So that's how I see it. How do you see it, Alex? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, no, it's it's that's a really good explanation. So I think, yeah, he does say that. So he says, yeah, thinking is complex and requires work as opposed to what you're describing, which is the out of control, uh, reactive highly reactive uh thoughting and so yeah i think you already quoted this but i've just actually just found it uh, in the black book here i've just um, got it on kindle actually so yeah he says that it requires understanding word usage history analysis logic proof as as hallmarks of what proper thinking is which um also require discipline and energetic expenditure which uh, people are very rarely uh, into so uh, yeah i i definitely agree with that i think from a Zen perspective, just maybe to offer something a little little bit of a different take, but very much in line, I think, with, with what you're saying. So I, I also had this in my Zen course when I was explaining kind of the, the Zen meditation idea of how sensory events uh, lead to thoughting cascades, I guess you could say. So you, you can, um, I'm going I'm to put the slide up here. I'm going to cut it into this podcast so people can see it if they're on YouTube. But I think that a, a good way to view it, and, and this is uh, encapsulated uh, in the story of the two arrows, uh, which was uh, in, in Buddhism is a discussion between the Buddha and one of his students. And um, basically, the gist of it is that, that he was saying that, you know, things happen to you in life. So you have the sensory event that occurs. So the event in the real world. Uh, untarnished by by thoughting or reaction, and then you have the reaction to the sensory event, and then the, he, what he says is to avoid the reaction uh, to the sensory event, or at least to exercise some over it as a way of, I guess, uh, short circuiting thoughting. But what I notice in myself uh, when I get wrapped up in layers of thoughting, 
is that I'll have a sensory event, which as, a, as I said, is, it tends to be out of our control. Then you have, I suppose, an emotional or a feeling reaction to an event, which is tends to be out of our control as well, unless you're aware of it and you've been working on it. Then we have this kind of phase of, of cognition and a kind of construction of thoughts uh, surrounding the event and a, an abstraction about the event. Now, all these stages uh, for most of us, most of the time, I don't think I'd be exaggerating when I say that, are pretty much entirely thoughtings because they're, they're things that just kind of happen and they happen without our conscious direction. And part of, I, I think, what meditation is really about is kind of getting a handle on this uh, reactive propensity. Um, and I think it's true to say that the reactivities, the way that we've been taught uh, when we were young, uh, some of the ways that we um, we derived, some of the ways uh, that we derived with our irrational minds in terms of how we should react to things, like a lot of the ways that we react to things uh, happened before we had any choice or say in the matter. So we tend to have patterns of reactivity, patterns of thoughting. And these uh, patterns, I suppose, they tend to, I think the best way to put it, but maybe they, they give flavor to reality. They give flavor to our uh, particular experience of reality. And uh, interestingly, I think that this then, this process and the thoughtings that we have then feed back into the lower down reactivities that we have to events that come later. So this is where we could tie in the idea of people being, or all of us really, unless we're careful, being self-fulfilling prophecies, right? Because we have these patterns of reactive thoughting, which are based on kind of metaphysical beliefs that we were imbued with, or that we came to conclusions uh, to when we were young and irrational. And these things tend to just continue on into adulthood. And sometimes they're adaptive, sometimes they're non-adaptive. It really kind of depends. Uh, for many people, what they're imbued with is completely self-defeating. And I think that it's probably true to say that for, for a lot of us, a lot of our patterns of thoughting are pretty self-defeating. But I guess my, my general view is that thoughting is really a compulsive physiological reactivity. It's a, it's a part of that total sensory process that goes on. And I totally agree with you. Um, that doesn't then mean that we need to get rid of it completely because it is there. It's adaptive. It's useful. What we do want to do is, I think, gain some understanding over our physiology and how our physiology interacts with our thoughting. And perhaps if you're really into it, if you really want to go far with it, actually try to exert some control over thoughting itself and, and how it happens, which you can do with things like meditation or body work or whatever else. So I think that's, you know, that's the way I tend to frame this kind of thing. <clears throat> and of course, just to reiterate, using thinking as opposed to thoughting. So the deliberate use of thinking, which requires uh, discipline, sitting down at a desk, taking notes, reading, creating something, whatever it is, and, and trying to prioritize that over, over the reactive mechanism of uh, thoughting. So that, yeah, that's my general view on it. Yeah, thinking seems to be related to the same thing almost as um, solving a problem. Even if you think of creating something artistic, it's still, you're still, it's a problem, still problem solving. It's just not the 
step-by-step rational way that we're used to thinking of problem solving. It's like they have a feeling or an intuition that they're trying to find or, you know, show, demonstrate to other people or, or however it is, or they're just trying to get rid of a, something in them that they have to create to get rid of the thing. It's still, they're still, it's still solving something. So when you're, 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 you're not just letting things happen to you, you're, although, you know, you could be thinking and later the answer comes to you, that kind of happens to you, but you prodded it in the past. So it's not quite the same thing. It's, that's more a result of your active work. And so there's definitely an active passive thing to it, although it's not quite that. And uh, thinking's tidying. So, like as an example, if you, I when I was doing all this the posture work and the movement work originally, it was all uh, feeling based stuff where you had people had hands on you and moved you around and stuff, and you were just try to you know feel free and and find a feeling of freedom and then try and maintain the feeling and stuff like that. That's very non intellectual and it's easy, and you're looking for pleasant feelings and all the time. And it usually gives you energy because you release intention and you feel good from it or whatever. But uh, when you actually go to think, so when I realized that wasn't solving the problems I wanted, it wasn't actually fixing my posture in the way I wanted, I wasn't in control of it, I didn't really know what was happening. So when I tried to figure it out and I started reasoning and uh, thinking about the different movements and how the parts relate to one another and how the actual physical mechanisms of your body actually work, and then how your psychological mechanisms interact with them and control them and, um, you know, the back and forward between quote mind, quote body. And uh, it was really tiring, really, really tiring, especially in the beginning. You just thought, you know, like if you're struggling with some kind of intellectual problem and you're really struggling with it and you just can't figure it out, it's tiring, it's draining on you. Often then you quit and then the answer will pop into your head randomly later. Again, that's not passive. You did the work earlier in it. You did the thinking and then the result comes when it's ready. You have to wait for the grass to grow kind of thing. But uh, so there's a definite action-oriented, energy-using component to thinking. So mentally, you're, it's tiring. It's hard work because like science took a lot of hard work from people to get to this stage. It didn't just appear naturally. It's not natural thinking to be that meticulous about things and to set up a situation where you're assuming that you're, what you feel is true isn't true, and you're going to go, you're, you're saying, up, you know, ideally, you're saying up in such a way that you're going to learn things even if you don't expect them and you think it's wrong and you don't think it'll work or whatever because of science. You know, I'm not saying they, because they can't really do that. But anyway, uh, all of them. So you, for thinking, it's it's action. It's like uh, doing things in the world. That's like, I, I came to this this idea really late. I didn't understand this at all when I was young. I always thought it was... You were doing things was one thing, was all the physical stuff in the world, and then thinking this is other thing where you just, it's kind of all just variations of interesting maths problems that it's nice to figure out, but that's just all it's for, and you can somehow get to the truth of everything just by doing that, totally separated from from uh, the physical world. I just don't think that anymore. It's so obvious that thinking is intertwined with practical action. It's like uh, thinking is practical first. As an example, there's, uh, you know, there's some of the, like, some of the old pagan gods started as like uh, the god of practical. It was a very practical, uh, physical thinking, but it's more like dexterity, like kind of canning thinking came first. And then the more abstract, what we think of philosophical stuff came later. So it was like the embodied fixer, figuring things out, uh, tending one thing and then doing the other, you know, like hunting and all these things that, you know, developed, thinking developed through hunting is one thing it developed through. And uh, you're not just making it obvious what you're doing. You're you're pretending, you know, it's like sparring in martial arts. You're pretending one thing and then doing something else. Like half of sparring is, is lying, it's pretending. So this is where thinking, as we think of abstractly, grew out of. So you... It comes from doing things in the world, getting things or avoiding bad, getting good things or avoiding bad things. 
So when we're just in your head with wires going round and round and round, you've completely lost track of what the whole purpose of it is. It's just gone. It's uh, the words language has become then, and instead of a means to doing things and the means of communication, a means of making things happen, it just becomes an end in itself. And uh, I mean, it is, a, it is a tool. It's just the pneumatic drill is still just firing away, lying on the ground, and no one's holding it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, interesting. So, so how, say, in terms of your work, so what I'm sort of getting from this uh, a little bit is maybe there's a little bit of a difference then between focus and unfocus. So maybe that's another frame to look at it in. For example, thinking in a very real sense requires a lot of focus, whereas thoughting that seems to be almost uh, the precipitate of unfocus. So it's things that are going on in our heads that um, really show that we are, we're not focused on something. So one of those is passive, I guess, being unfocused is passive, and then being focused is, is active. But both are obviously very important, right? Like, so- uh, Yeah, you we, need both. I mean- Yeah, when we unfocus- you're, you're unfocused, you're um, listening to people, listening to intuitions and things, but that's, they end up conflating being silent and waiting for intuitions or, or whatever it is, however they frame it. They conflate that with thinking. It's not quite, you know, like they're, it's different ways of thinking in a broader sense, but it's so easy to just end up thoughting when you think you're doing that. When you believe that you're doing that, it's things are just coming to you and then you believe in them and then you act in them and then you get people just believe crazy things and do crazy stuff because they haven't actually, they haven't tested what they've, quote, thought. <laughs> well, it is thought. Anyway, sorry. No, no, it's quite all right. Interestingly, so I, I came across some data uh, recently where the default mode network, which I guess is responsible for thoughting when we think about it. So that's the that's the uh, the brain recruitment of various brain circuitries that we use when we're unfocused on something. So it actually uses 20% of the body's energy when it's unfocused compared to when we do focus on something, the 5% that which seems relatively small, which I found actually fairly shocking. I would have thought it was the other way around. But it seems actually, at least in terms of energetic expenditure, that the unfocus of the default mode network, so uh, the thoughting element is actually more energetically uh, expensive than when we uh, apply effort to something. But I suppose in a way, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of understandable. But maybe what, um, what we want to think about then is, uh, you know, how do you, how do you shape and how do you uh, change uh, the quality of what happens when at rest. So when your default mode network kicks in, I suppose you're in a bit of a flow state, this thoughting's going on, you're not focused. You know, how do you influence uh, the quality of that state, which has always been of great interest to me, given that it is something that is, is still important. So are you surprised by that? I was surprised by that when I when I read it. And of course, there's, Sur there's other reasons. That it, more. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have thought that if you're yeah. in intense, an intense state of focus, given how hard it is to maintain that, that it would be more energetically expensive than than in, in a state of unfocus. It might be because it's um that's that default mode network then is it's that's connected with what your actual ordinary awareness experiences you know what you're experiencing right now is connected with that so the energy is kind of used up by existing no by knowing you're existing as much as people do sure sure don't know maybe you're right yeah i have no idea either i i was just um you know surprised but like a, as an analogy like it'd be like um the default mode network you you just 
It's like you dig. It's like there's a certain amount of energy your body has. Your think it goes into your thinking or your brain or your body or however you want to think about. It. And you, you know you're just um, stuck in the same you know reality tunnel as Robert Anton Wilson and those guys used to say. That, um, the same amount of energy is just going to go round and round in the same. You know, you've only dug a few ditches and then the water's flowing in the same ditches. Whereas if you've done lots of different things and you've you've instead of being so rigid, you're more open. You've had different experiences and thought different things from different angles and basically just try and be more intelligent, there's more ditches for the water to flow through. So all the power and energy isn't going, you know, you haven't built up a dam in a few ditches where all the, using up all the energy, it's been spread out more. I don't know if this relates to what you're saying or not, but that's one way I think about it sometimes, but it's not like, I don't think it's literally like that. Mm. I mean, one thing that people do in order to change the quality of their everyday thoughting or their default mode network or whatever, <laughs> you see, it's not so much fashionable now, but was affirmations. So they're getting thoughts that they don't like, they're negative. So they stand in front of the mirror and say a different set of words that are nicer thoughts. So they try to push out the bad thoughting with some good thoughting. You know what I mean? So they just, it's it's out yeah. of control thought is appearing. So rather than dealing with the problem, which the, the actual problem is the fact that this is just out, it's out of control. What they do is they just try and change it slightly so it's more pleasant. You know, it's this still mm-hmm. let it be out of control, but just put in some new words and then hopefully become automatic and happen. It's always yeah. whenever you look at people doing stuff in self-development, nine, eight percent of the time, it's always try to find something that if they just do this one, this one simple trick, then they won't need to think about it again. It's always mm. throw away responsibility for thinking later. Always. It's always like uh, how long would this how long before this is automated? Like I don't need to think about this. That's how they're thinking all the time. So affirmations was like was a so like basic quick way of doing that. There is some use in it actually because it can push you towards other digging new ditches. You know, it can push you in a direction, but it doesn't solve it. You know, it just it can change the direction or whatever. But the problem is the fact that you have no conscious volitional control over the use of words in your head. I mean, you have to think about it. people use words are for using. You use them. They're not like uh, let them happen to you. This is why, like uh, William Barrows and all those, you know, the language is a virus, and you know, you're just Carl Jung. Ideas have people. People don't have ideas. You know, a lot of kind of stuff comes from this because everyone's just thoughting it's happening to them all the time. I'm not saying there's not some things to what they're saying. Well, there's something to it, but it's uh, you. You don't need to be the victim of it all the time. T- techniques for doing that, though, there's there isn't really that many. We've talked about Kurzybski, general semantics is a good one for, for taking control of the words because the, the verbalizations that you have will be connected with feelings and um, reactions that are coming up based on those words. And then when you start peeling apart the reactions and the sensory world from the verbal world, and over time you stop reacting straight away to the word as all the feelings and other thoughts don't come along with a certain word automatically because you're now seeing it as a sort of abstract tool that can help um meditation obviously helps. the the danger of meditation is that people try to just kill off all the words and never think again i did this i stopped reading for a couple of hours read at all for a couple of years not saying reading is the answer to everything i'm just meaning it wasn't like it was i had to just give it all up in order to maintain that so you have to like be you just get more and more on the intellectual which is for me the, the issue really now is how to bring the intellect back into action rather than to just try and kill it off, which is related to this idea of killing the ego, which I think is another wrong way of thinking about all this stuff. Although it is connected, your everyday ego would be connected with your what we're calling thoughting or the what those guys call the default mode network. It's all, um, it's all kind of intertwined. But I mean, to, to start untangling all this and to pick it apart, 
even be interested in this and then to actually go ahead and do it. You already have to have some space in your mind where you can see this is happening to yourself. You, know, you can't persuade a normal person of this because there doesn't even occur to them that words are tools. The words, things are in their mind are just are what they are. And a lot of your c- construction of what you feel is me, myself, is uh, based on all this over and over again. You just identify with it. The meditation people are good at, good at explaining that stuff. I just don't think they're very good at uh, afterwards. It just comes back to a guy just staring into the sky, staying in a cave. <laughs> we always thought of this. Whereas uh, once you're free of the thoughting, you actually have more space and energy. Well, I found it anyway over a while, over time, to be able to think clearly. And you get better intuitions because you're not crowded out with all this, the, the random words and feelings that are appearing by themselves as much. So I don't know. I, I haven't, I've gone off on a tangent here. Yeah. No, I think uh, so. What, what um, you seem to me to be saying is that, yeah, you, through, through the action, again, uh, I think we were talking about this process before that some practices are appropriate at certain times to de-energize pollution and noise uh, that are going on in the in the head and the body or you know uh, mr process here talking about us like we're a robot or something but you know it's a metaphor that works so so i suppose a part of this uh the way i see it these days is the other dimension so we're talking about affirmations and uh, reasoning things out before which undoubtedly do play a part. There's nothing wrong with having an affirmation, I guess, you know, rather than, you know, affirmation of self-loathing, uh, like many people do. Why not try to make it positive? I mean, if if these things are just tools, I, you know, I can't see there's anything wrong with that. Personally, I, I don't do it because, you know, I'm already awesome. I don't, I don't need to do it. But the the thing is... The nice other way to frame, sneak in an affirmation. Of course, exactly. See? Or, so, or is this more, this is more, is that like a magical spell? You put your, uh, what's exactly. the word? I forget, hyper sigil. Let's you put your hyper sigil out oh, into the universe. Really? I've never heard of that. That's some, that's deeply esoteric. Where'd you pick that up? That is, was that on a Twitter thread or something? Or <laughs> I must have missed it. That's, that's pretty good. Hyper, hyper sigil. Yeah, I think it's from, I think it's from uh, Grant Morrison, you know, the guy who wrote the Invisibles uh, comic. No, I'm not uh, sure. Because he, that was, yeah, I think I think he came up with that. I'm not sure. But anyway, mm. it's the idea is you, uh, what you want to make happen and become true, you have to put it into the world in some way rather than it being like a secret thing you do on your own. Right, right. I haven't really tried it. I know people who, who do it, but it's 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 not um it's actually quite straightforward it's actually not that esoteric if you, if when you mm. when it's actually spelled out in step by step what you actually do it's just a uh, sounds esoteric hyper hyper of course Maybe i should call my course that or something hyper <laughs> sigil breeding well, you know breeding. breathing breathing hyper <laughs> hyper sigil breeding i don't know about <laughs> that hyper but... I don't know about hyperbreeding. I mean, this sounds all right. There won't be any of that going on in, in my course. Don't want to put anyone off or anything. So yeah, I, I was thinking, so so what I noticed and what I've noticed in my in myself a lot, the, the other element uh, to thoughting, uh, and we've spoken about it in a cognitive uh, way. So I've spoken about it in terms of words and recognizing what words are, you know, looking at Korzybski using E prime to try and see through, you know, what's going on and the fact that words are tools. Of course, the other element is that uh, the body and the physi- physiology deeply impact uh, the quality of thinking and thoughting. I think that anyone who's worked on their, their body or diet or anything like that, when you're in a good, you know, I hate using this word metabolic state, or a good physiological, physiological state, that you notice a strange thing that happens, and that is that the so-called personality and the self take on an entirely 
different character. So uh, one way I like to look at all this is that uh, one way of changing things is pretty obvious, and that's to improve the quality of the physiology in general. So you can do that really by the manipulation of all the different systems that we're comprised of that do affect uh, all sorts of different uh, systems. And they're all, of course, processual. They all uh, impact one another. So th what I mean by that is you, you have some like the autonomic, uh, central, peripheral nervous systems, the way they all interact with, with one another. Of course, they're connected to the, to the cardiovascular system, which in turn is connected to the internal uh, respiratory system, which then has impacts on the hormonal system. Then the hormonal system has impacts on neurotransmitters and various other things, which then goes to impact um, the immune system, uh, which uh, regulates you know things like states of stress or uh, whatever else. And all these things that lead to, uh, I suppose, a physiological homeostasis, like a homeostatic response in which the physiology is interacting with an ecology and it should be interacting at a maximal energetic efficiency or processual efficiency. And unfortunately, I suppose in our world, the physiological habits, we're taught the fact that we're not taught to think about our posture. We're always you know, focused on our phones or whatever else it is, that all these systems, this has a very direct and real impact on how all these uh, processual systems are functioning. So they tend to, I wouldn't say malfunction, but they tend to not function optimally. And that actually has a very real impact on the quality, first of all, of the thoughting. So when you do have thoughting, if you have out of control thoughting, it's very often a product of a fried nervous system, a nervous system that isn't being regulated properly. So while people may try and attack that from an, a cognitive point of view, so they may go, oh, well, I've just got to look in the mirror and say, you know, enroll in Alex's breeding course or what, whatever they think they've got to do. Actually, it could more be a case that there's some other sublinguistic intervention that is required to get that nervous system back on track, well-regulated, whether that be dietary interventions lifestyle interventions, all these different things. So we can tend to get caught up in the thoughting and try to find ways to stop the thoughting with other thoughts, which some of those interventions might be okay. Then so look at it purely as that we, a set of processes that the way that these processes are interacting in an energetic sense have a very real impact on our cognitive and I suppose the feeling of what happens. So what I'm, I'm kind of suggesting is that over time, these homeostatic mechanisms can be changed. They can be changed through body work, through breath work, through posture work, through these things that are very foundational. And what you may notice is that when you really go deep with these different things, so when you go deep uh, within the conscious manipulation of these homeostatic uh, mechanisms, that as we've spoken about, they do impact all the metabolic, I suppose, metabolic dynamics of the body and all the resources that the organism uses to regulate the vital variables in the environment. These things are fundamentally non-word based. They're, they're physical systems. And when you work deeply with them, when you start to get them all functioning properly, that a lot of the problems that you think that you have with thoughting, so the inability to get out of your head, all these different things that people experience, they tend to just go away. They tend to dissipate. And then it's from that point 
that you can start to maybe have more success with a more cognitive, more complex ways of self-change, I think. So that's another kind of angle that I just wanted to talk about because for sure, I notice people and I notice this even in myself, like I could be having a really stressful day, just uh, thoughting my ass off getting resentful, ruminating, like all the various things that we all do. And then I'll, I'll sit down, I'll do a session where I deliberately and consciously manipulate my cardiovascular system by uh, manipulating the pace of my res respiratory process, deliberately try to relax and then use meditation, for example, to try to cognitively contextualize everything that's going on properly. And within 20 minutes, my frame of mind could be just completely different, qualitatively completely different. The rumination will be gone, my mind will be clear. And all of a sudden, I'm in a completely different spot, where I'm then able to then go and engage in whatever was causing me issues uh, before I like this, I like to pass out different elements of this, because I feel like those things you, you could look at those things as in, they're inducing good feelings or, you know, whatever else, which sometimes happens, not all the time, but sometimes that happens. And it would be very easy to become obsessed with just that. But I, I like to view these things as just purely a tool. It's just a tool that I'm using. I, I know I'm not going to get obsessed with it, but I just use it because in this situation right now, this is what I need to happen because my, my thoughting is out of control and it's becoming debilitating. I'm becoming highly reactive. And I just need to find a way out of this. And this is the tool that I'm going to use this recognizing that all these processual systems are operating underneath the bonnet. And if yeah. I can hack into them in some way, then I can change the actual fundamental nature of the feeling of what happens. So I don't know what you're Yeah. Think and the that. thing, the thing you did is you, uh, you did something. So it's, it's about doing something, not just words, true, words, yeah. and words. So, so like to go from thoughting to thinking. So what you like to take the example, you said that of um, consciously manipulating your cardiovascular system and, you know, people can, you can work with your own nervous system and uh, this kind of stuff. It's, it's going from just words in your head, say thoughting or images in your head. And then you're actually doing something. So you're doing it to yourself, to your body. So a lot of these somatic techniques will work like that because you're now just, you're, humans are made for action. Thinking is design, came from act, helping with action, tools for acting, to, to have more options, to have more control over things, to communicate with others as you're doing things in the group. This is where thinking came from. So humans are designed for action. So when we get worried and anxious and all these things you get from the out of control thoughting from like, you know, fried night nervous system or whatever, however you describe it, or far too much muscular tension and all these things, you need to go from the words in your head to doing something rather than just uh, continuing with more words. And what you did was you, it requires words. If you think about it, because what you had to do is you, when you decided to manipulate or to do a technique, when anyone decides to do a technique, you are think you're self-talk, you're thinking to yourself, you're, there's words in your head, you know, you're deciding, okay, I need to stop doing this. I need to do that technique. I know the breathing technique. Okay. So this, so you're very quickly giving step one, step two in your mind as you're, you're planning things in your head. Some people is more very, they hear it more their own voice. Some people they don't, but they are, you are communicating with yourself. And then that's immediately aimed and directed at doing something in different with your body. So you've converted words into reality. This happens with your body. It's not like uh, hunting an animal out in the wild. Could be that, you know, I'm hungry. I'm just going to sit and think about hungry and have new words. So I'm not hungry. I'm, I'm not hungry. You know, maybe that works intermittent fasting or whatever, but you'll starve eventually. 
So you're better to just think, okay, how what can I how can I use these words instead of going round in circles about being hungry and not being hungry? How can I just uh, speak to the people and say, okay, let's coordinate each other. You do this, I'll do this. Let's make this, and then we'll go and get this mammoth or whatever. So that type, that what you described there of you doing, going from being stressed to basically essentially talking yourself into doing things that got rid of the thoughting. So now you're just clear and now you're more able to do more talking to yourself about functional things to do things or be silent. You have the choice. So really this is how you go from thoughting to thinking. You don't, you didn't throw away thinking. You started, you didn't throw away words and concepts. You actually started thinking instead of thoughting. And anyone can do this if you start doing it. But in the beginning, when you first try these things, you, you resist, you don't want to. And more thoughting comes up not going to work, feels bad, I don't know what I'm doing. And then you, every time you think through something and you do something with it, it creates new results. You get a little bit more confidence of your thinking and then you'll think a little bit more the next time. And then you just gradually pull yourself out of nothing but thoughting. There's always going to be stuff just comes up against your will, like not against your will, but just happens to you all day. It's just part of being humans, how our brains are wired. Silence, you were talking about tool. Silence is a useful tool, but a lot of the traditions and that silence just becomes an end in itself. You know, you just sit in silence and you have to get rid of all. And like, it's a definite tool for, you know, expanding yourself, transcending your current thing or awakenings, however you want to say it. But it's not, to me, it's not an end point. It's not a goal. It's just that it's another tool. Whether we, why we need it as a tool, I don't know. But it's clear that people are, it helps people stop the thoughting, learning to be silent. But if you only learn to be silent, then you're not very good. To, you're, you're not going to be think, be able to think in the real world. Hence, the guy goes and lives in the cave and, doesn't, and people come and give him arms. I'm so moral. People bring me food to help me survive. No, it's just you don't know how to think anymore. So you have or, no choice. or on the side of the road in his okay. underpants. Wasn't that the other thing that um, that they do when they he's the other, too deep into he's the, the other guy, yeah. world? Yeah, I mean, it's like I, I find myself always, I keep banging on about the, even the things that feel, seems like we're not using words and we're escaping the intellect. Actually, you're using it just in a different way and making it into action. It's all, everything you, you described there is about doing something with the, doing something instead of just think, instead of just having words going around in your head. That's all it boils down to. And yeah. doing something can just be changing you, changing something in the world. That's how humans are wired. We're wired for action. An anxious person is just going round in circles and not doing anything. Some people jump into action without even thinking and they fuck things up even more. But that's probably better than sitting in tense and not doing anything because, you know, as long as it's not too stupid what you do, at least you're changing something and then you can change it again, you know, you know within reason. So that just seems to be what it is. But a lot of the, if you're, some types of people will, they just get stuck using the thoughting to try and change the thoughting rather than dealing with the, the root cause of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I wrote an article on this uh, French uh, scientist called Henry Labarit. I'm probably not, I'm absolutely butchering his last name, no doubt. It's Australian French Labarit, Henry Labarit, mate. Probably not what his name really is. It's probably like Labrie or something. I'm not sure how you say it. But he actually did. Was that a French accent or a Nazi accent? Australian. Yeah, of course, Australian French. So yeah, he did experiments with rats, uh, and it and it actually fairly conclusively showed that um, any kind of action at all beats uh, passively just taking it, even if the situation is hopeless or or seems hopeless, and and the effectiveness of the action. Is, is not all that important, at least in terms of stress response, hormones, uh, various other markers like that, which is very interesting. 
So it's on my sub stack if, if people are interested. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, that's yeah. the same thing. I mean, that's why we're wired for action. It's not because everyone who wasn't died. That's probably why everyone just who wasn't wired for action died. Oh, that looks like it could be stripes of a tiger between the trees. Let me see the typical length of one stripe compared to the other stripe. Oh, I'll just work this out. Hang on a second. I'll just draw on this. I'll just draw on the ground with a stick now and do some symbols and figure <laughs> out what the, the probability of the, whether the tigerness of this this do phenomenon. A on it. Yeah, quick Twitter thread on seven learnings from identifying a tiger's stripe. So obviously, it's uh, we're there's benefits from from these things being wired into us and just happening to us and all that. Obviously, so it's not like you can make everything conscious and everything intentional and you're just this perfect separated. Spiritual being separate from from the world. This is that's stupid. Uh, it's kind of like a straw man argument people have again. People make when you start saying that you can actually become a little bit more conscious about stuff. Yes, much conscious control over the things that are happening in your mind in the beginning, but you can't actually get a little bit better at it. It's never going to be perfect. But who cares? What's, what's the point? What, what's what's the point worrying about that? It doesn't matter. So it's just. Uh, I think the thing that makes you makes the difference between. So you really know what you've been thinking rather than thawing is if done something in the world something has changed and there's new results doesn't matter if they're good or bad it just means you've done something you like weren't happy with the way things were so you looked at the situation you had some ideas and then you acted on them and then you acted again and had some ideas on the new situation you created now you know you're in thinking land because it was intentional it's not just well i'll just see what happens next which is can be a tool too I mean that can be that's okay too and the body so like the like my work with the posture work is actually I don't really frame it like this to people but because it sounds confusing and not what they're looking for in the beginning but really it's how to translate words into actions how to decide what you want to do so like I'm giving a one-to-one on a, on a zoom call and I'm giving them instructions about different movements and in the beginning people can't follow basic instructions because we're just not used to transferring words immediately into actions we're just used to them going around in your head based on feelings so like can you pick up the stick and move the stick in this way and do this da, 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 uh, with that hand this other hand and they'll pick up with the wrong hand they'll hold the wrong part they're like you're getting a fluster and they can't remember the instructions I've just given them even though it's like two or three simple this most people are like this it's normal so you just have to learn how to follow instructions first from the teacher about movements me and then the when they start giving themselves instructions, you know, this is just this inner dialogue that they're giving themselves. They start following their own the commands. So they start obeying their own commands. But in the beginning, people can't obey commands. This is Nietzsche's thing about commanding and obeying. You know, the, there's a few different things he says about command, like uh, you want to command, like commanding and obeying at the same time. You know, the noble person likes to do both. But this is part of it. It's like telling yourself what to do and then doing it. But doing it means actions. And then actions means analyzing the result of what did it work so you're already taking the thoughting and you're i'm not sure is it transforming the thoughting into thinking or are you just setting up a parallel system in your mind where alongside the, the thoughting's happening anyway and then you're you're doing some active thinking and then because you've got conscious intention and energy behind the active thinking you just start going along with that instead of the thoughting and the thoughting just wears away a little bit it's like if you get you're really hyper tense you're like yep 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 in your head all tense you get a massage you're saying you feel relaxed your body's relaxed and then you notice all the the chat in your head's gone away because it was being fueled by the tension or whatever mm. i think there's a point so to, like yeah i was just going to say on that point very quickly i think that the the organism actually has a point of you know like a seesaw like of maximal resonance or a swing it's like you know if you put someone up uh, like a kid on a swing and you just push him on the swing and you 
they come up and you find that point where you're putting the minimal effort in and you're getting the maximum out of the swing. I honestly feel like the human being has a point like that. So when all these systems are functioning fairly well, the thoughting just kind of is better regulated. Um, it's it's when you're operating in a non-hatalist engineering, you know, a non-efficient manner, I suppose, that, that things start to weigh on each other and you're putting more effort in to get the kid up uh, every time kind of thing. Does that make sense as a metaphor? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think um, Gurdjieff, had a, the way he called it was, uh, he called this thoughting, I think it's the same thing. Um, he called it the formatory apparatus. So you're mm. just constantly coming up with these forms Resistant is just happening by itself, and you're, the person is asleep. They're not awake at all when they do. This. It just happens to them, and uh, that's what it's like. It's just like your history. You're well, partly your genetics, but partly your early history, your upbringing, and all the the culture and all that. It's just uh, whatever's happening in the real world is just being filtered through all this, and your it's just your brain is just automatically coming up with stuff. It's coming up with uh, associations with everything that happens and feelings based on things. You know, it's a different experience of doing it, but you're, you're at, you're doing it. The, the feeling, it's will is what it is to use an old fashioned word. You're, it's your, you're willing things and making things happen. You're using words and concepts to will it, to make it. It's a feeling of willing things into the world that is not the same as just being there and things happening to you. And it's only mm. when you try to do it and you have to struggle against the way things currently are and you have to force yourself to do that. You're like, oh, I'm more awake and alive now, briefly. And then you go back into the default node network or whatever. And you're just, you know, this is why people are suddenly become having a, like a, an epiphany about life when they are almost in a car crash or when they're jump out of a plane or, you know, whatever, those moments and everything slows down. It's because you're uh, you're taken out of it briefly and you're... You're, ta you're taken out of that default mode network or, or the thoughting or whatever it is briefly. And then you now you've seen it, you know there's something else. And then, of course, you just go back into the trance again after. But when yeah. you, you get, and psychedelics can be useful for people to see outside of it. They become idiots when that's all they do, most of them. But it's useful to get outside of that for some people. But meditation is, you know, an older, not older, but like a more solid way of doing it for people because you're more in charge of it then. Rather than have to rely on taking things, people will debate that forever. But the it just keeps coming back to the same thing: Are you doing something? And the best, the first place to do things is your body, just because that's your whether it's changing your posture, whether it's uh, talking to your nervous system to calm yourself down. You know, the words go a long way if you're using them to do things. But if they're just in your head going round and feeding the feelings, and then the feeling sends up more words, and then the words bring up more feelings, and da da da. You're not doing anything. And this is why marketing works, because they take the aim of those people and they set it up in such a way that it brings them out of their loop quickly enough to do something, buy the product, and then they go back into the loop and then they go round and round until they feel it again. They have to go out again and buy a new thing. Very clever. Mm, devilish. Yeah, I, here's, here's another way. I think I'm, you know, I'm picking up what you're putting down here. So, of course, I was reading, I uh, did a review on that book, uh, Distracted Mind. And in that book, he talks a lot about the poor communication between the higher executive uh, functions of the brain. So the planning and, you know, doing a mathematical equation or planning a complex uh, action that we probably would call thinking in this conversation. I think that would qualify as thinking that higher order kind of planning part of the brain. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 And a good way to frame it, I, I think it all, uh, I think is to think of it like the, if you were to do a somatic practice or meditation or something like this, to do it properly, it, really, you are in a way framing it from an executive function point of view. So you're doing it, you're using it as a tool 
So in a sense, I guess you could say it qualifies kind of as a thought because it's part of a complex strategy to affect a change in the real world, which is really what the executive uh, functions kind of all about. And on the other hand, you have this kind of tendency in people who do somatic stuff or meditation or whatever it is, all those kinds of things. And they use it as a kind of reactivity to what's going on. So like, I can't stand the feeling in my body and I'm just going to react and do meditation because I can't stand it. And they tend to dwell there because they don't have a higher framework of how all this stuff is fitting together and and being used as a tool. And they tend to get obsessed with one thing. That's where you get the one thingness from. And they just lose the forest for the trees. And in some sense, uh, sorry, the trees for the forest. And and in some sense, that, that, that's where you get, you know, people like Dharma bums and various other kinds of people who just get kind of just tied up in this reactive uh, squishiness because I just can't stand the the higher order of things it's kind of what i feel like a lot of people don't practice meditation properly for this reason because say for example in zazen it is kind of like a higher function tool but when done properly when because what you're doing is constantly kind of imposing like a, a watermark on reality as it is and it's this kind of in, uh, inherent realization in the moment where you're like, ah, and you start to untie yourself from from those bad habits. I, I was thinking like, as, as I was kind of making a, a few notes for this episode. And like when I was a junior in the shipping business, um, we, we used to like back in the day, you know, we had telexes and uh, like all this old technology and like, um, you know, radios and stuff that you'd radio the ships, all these different things. And we, we just got Xerox in this particular office. And when we go on the ship, we'd go and get the documents done with a master. So he would, you know, you'd do a bill of lading, for example, for the cargo that was on board the ship in a manifest and various various other cargo commercial cargo documents and this this just came up into my mind i guess i i was thoughting this experience out because when you're in meditation or zazen it's kind of the same thing what what you're kind of doing is you're putting like this watermark or overlay over the top of things constantly uh, with thoughting and what it does is it, it's, it, it kind of prevents us from accessing some semblance of reality as it is. And uh, I suppose it's a little bit different because the watermark that we use or that we're, we're imposing on reality with thoughting is, is not preventing fraud. It's actually kind of causing it. And meditation is useful for that because, because you start to recognize many of the watermarks that you're imposing over reality with, with thoughting, with the thoughting that you've been acculturated and brought up to kind of do. And you, you did mention uh, something like that before. I forget what it exactly was, but for sure there is this filter of subconscious stuff that it's kind of like I guess someone like Hyatt would would prefer to, uh, refer to it as brain pollution or you know something like that. And those those things are, are very often out of mind. And and when I worked with one of Hyatt's students, what he referred to it as metaphysical beliefs, like personal metaphysical beliefs. And part of the process I went through with him was to go through these metaphysical beliefs. And what you do is you start with this giant uh, autobiography, not giant, um, you know, fairly big, where you'd recount your life uh, from a narrative 
point of view. And for him, I guess, being trained in the way of uh, the Dr. Hyatt, and, and of course, bringing his own stuff to the table, is that he pulled metaphysical beliefs that were kind of like running underneath the surface out of that narrative. And you go through this kind of dialectic process, ripping apart uh, many of these beliefs that are irrational, silly, and self-defeating for the most part. And it was a very interesting process because we definitely have stuff running under the bonnet that we're not aware of, that we uh, came to conclusions when we couldn't reason out. And these beliefs, in a very real way, they shape the thoughting and they kind of determine the character of the watermark that we put over reality itself. So it's a very interesting exercise, um, if anyone ever gets a chance to do it, is to really go deep into your character with someone who knows how to do it and to, and to rip those beliefs apart. So we have all sorts of beliefs that tie in with thoughting. And I think it is actually in that black book that Dr. Hyatt goes through a lot of these different things that they were given. It could be a belief about society. It could be a manner of thinking. So he mentions uh, things like either ors, which we just use. We don't even think about using either ors, but either ors uh, really, you know, they shade a very large part of our conscious experience. So that's a, maybe an example of a cultural thinking habit that we all have that we just it's running under the surface, right? Because we don't know what it is for the most part. We don't recognize where either ors came from. We don't really have any control over them as a result. So exercises like Zazen and, and this kind of deep, I suppose, you know, personality analysis, it brings up all these assumptions and ways of thinking that are sort of bubbling underneath the surface and are really giving a very individual and uh, the way that we interact with the world and our thoughtings. And I just wanted to run something by you. So if if you can talk about how, you know, higher order thinking involves sitting down, you know, planning something out, doing all these different things, but that thinking is also shaded by thoughting. So there is stuff that's subconscious thoughting that is is bubbling underneath the surface. It is determining what the quality of that thinking. So, so what I mean is, I suppose we all went through COVID recently, and you you saw otherwise fairly intelligent people who are fairly well educated, absolutely chimp out and make some of the worst rational decisions I've ever seen in my life. Like it was actually quite unbelievable. And that really, in a way, you could say, well, that person's good at thinking because they sat down at university, maybe they got a highly technical degree. So it's not like they're stupid, like they're capable of thinking. But underneath the surface, there are these untested metaphysical beliefs, which I guess you could call a thoughting that are diminishing the impact of their thinking, even though do you see what I mean. So I'm kind of getting at like, how far do you need to make sure that or to ensure that your thinking really is thinking. And one of the ways you can effectively do it is with zazen so you can or, or uh, meditation and you can sit there and if you're doing it properly you can notice the total context of all the things that are going in going on within consciousness and you would like to think that over time this leads to a bit of wisdom or something where you're able to notice the origins of your thinking and your thoughtings but then I look at someone like Sam Harris and I'm like well that clearly that's not the fucking case because he can meditate really well but he's He's out of his fucking mind. So it brought up a problem for me. So I'm like, well, how do you know that your thinking is really thinking and not just another species of thoughting because you've never investigated the metaphysical beliefs that that lie underneath the thinking that you're doing? Yeah. 
I don't know if you can ever truly escape it, to be honest. Is there... I'm thinking, I just had this thought now, Joe, I've just got to forget about it. It could just simply be the recognition all the time that you just have limitations to your thinking, where some people don't have that. They think that their thinking is absolute thinking. Oh, Someone yeah. Like I mean, Sam Harris. The, the basic skepticism you have about whether your thinking is right or enough or not, that most people don't have, no. It doesn't even occur to them that the immediate thing isn't the thing. Even I mean, I don't know if you, if you can really escape it. But even Hyatt said somewhere, everybody gets caught in a dogma eventually. Like, no matter how much you try and yourself <laughs> from all these things, eventually true. there's something will be your dogma. You know, it's the one thing again. You know, everyone has their thing. They think explains more things than their thing explains. So, yeah, and some of that's metaphysical beliefs, like if they about themselves in the world. I'm bad, they're good. I'm good, they're bad, you know, whatever. And then everything's built on top of that. So, I mean, their whole, their whole brain is wired like that. So, I mean, technically you could think your way out of that, I think. But, I mean, there's certain levels of wiring and people's brains have had of, like, strong events happen when they're so young. You just can't undo it because for practical reasons. It's just too too hard. Maybe it's possible in theory in the future, but some things you just can't escape. And um, the, like Sam Harris and all those kind of people over the last few years, if you stimulate someone's amygdala enough, it will override any kind of rational thinking skills they have. Simple as that. So, like, you know, it doesn't matter. They're like, especially like fake intellectuals and stuff you get now. It's all in very few ditches. All their thinking is round in circles in a few ditches. And it's very penned in by the consensus reality, basically. What everyone else agrees on, what's, what's seen as good and bad, even if they reject the foundations of morality. They still have their own morality and everything has to be penned inside that. And then they do all the thinking in this nice little safe pen, like a, a child in its play, in its toy room, you know, and it's childproof and there's no, there's nothing dangerous around them and they keep it nice and safe. Then something happens, it scares the shit out of them for whatever reason. The lower parts of the brain are stimulated and they just overrules the other things. I mean, that's a useful mechanism that your parts of you over, you know, if you're thinking about a math, Sam, and you step out on the road, and a car is about to knock you down and you your body jumps back without you having to think about it in advance. That's a good thing. But you know, the bad side of it is that people just, you can be made to, you just need to make someone scared and then they'll stop thinking straight. And, and I, I know what you mean. I mean, some of the like blatantly irrational things people were believing and believing two things at once, it's just not possible to, to imagine they could do that beforehand. To comprehend. I had a lot of trouble. Yeah, it's like, what is going on here? You know, I just... Wouldn't get it. it really revealed a lot of people have some kind of metacognition and most people don't mm. so you know the npc meme is pretty good really the npc thing because it is like that a bit you know it's like mm. uh, they're you know it's a fan meme or whatever but it's i mean most of it most, i mean even people who aren't 100 npc are mostly including me in this are npcing most of the time you know you're, you're never you can't escape that and uh, it ties into this sort of uh, what you were saying about conscious and subconscious they're both intertwined all the time you're doing something consciously other things are subconscious it's happening to you something's intentional some things are put into you by other people or they were uh you're just doing them because people around you are doing them or it's just possibly habit but similar to what you were saying about how do you know when you, even if you're doing a biography of yourself and you're trying to do it in the third person and uh, like, you know, independent biography of you, you know, an impartial criticism of yourself to the extent that you can, you're still uh, like, how much of it is your metaphysical, unexplored metaphysical beliefs underneath or making you say these things or think these things? Mm, uh, it's yeah. it's exactly the same in movements, actually, because F.M. Alexander's early work was about that his idea was people have a conception of so they're doing they're moving in weird ways, so they have bad posture or movement problems or stiffness and all these seemingly physical issues. And then his like main discovery was well, 
instead of just going, oh, they've got a stiff shoulder, just flexing the shoulder around and trying to make it loose, which, you know, like, well, is what people do. And how, you know, they either firmly manipulate it or they do some softer one where you're releasing the tension or whatever. But it's, it's like, there's a problem here, go in there and change that. What he realized was it's not a physical problem like that, these things. The person has a conception, an idea, a mental construct about how the mechanisms work that's wrong. It's just false to the facts of the movements. Concept's a bit of a, it's not the ideal word to use here because it's kind of a few thoughts that they thought over time, but it's mostly just feelings of what feels right mixed in with it. It's almost like a feeling-based conception, if you can call it that. Like a, like a physiological reactivity, like a pattern reactivity or something. Yeah, and it's, like it's, it's a belief behind it, though. Of that's the way it should, in order to move my shoulder, it should feel huh. this way as I'm doing it. Yeah. And if it doesn't feel that way, I'm, that's not the way it is. So it just becomes, you think that's the way it works. And because it's so intimate, your feelings of your limbs and your movements you just it just seems true because it's straight mm. in your face immediate so his idea was you have to change the conception you can do all the physical things you want but if the person doesn't understand that these objects rotate in this way or you're or to look at the structure in a different way and say like it would be a straight line here but you're bending it here and making it shorter you know like these kind of uh, understanding the mechanisms of what they're doing understanding the effects on the mechanisms and it's only once you change the conception that it can start changing your movements so like i've had people with problems like an example there's like a shoulder movement experiments i give people and it's uh, they can move the shoulder in a certain way and it's to do with the position of the el elbow and the wrist and, and things we're doing so there's objective things on camera that we're testing and then uh, once they understand the concept so the person will be struggling to get it so I'll, I'll explain the model in different ways i'll have them physically do a model with their hands and objects and stuff to understand the concept to change the concept and then I'll say, okay, now try the movements again. And often they'll suddenly do a much more free or a much different movement than they could do before. But there was no intermediate steps. There was no like bit by bit by bit. They didn't get closer and closer. They just changed the idea of what was possible. And then suddenly they did a different thing. That makes sense? You, yeah, yeah. There was a con you just changed the concept. You could think of that in terms of movement as like a metaphysical belief you have yeah. about the mechanisms underneath that's completely unexplored, unexamined until, you know, it's... I point it out to them and get them to do some movements, but pointing out to them won't do anything. They still need to do something with it after, obviously. But just doing something won't do either. You need to cut the concept too. Sometimes doing new movements will bring up, will create the new concept of, of how the mechanism works. You know, like mm. there's an interplay between them. It's not top down theory to practice. Obviously, the theory is coming out of the practice and things are changing, and I'm changing my ideas about it as well over time. Things like, so that's like you're just having to get new mental tools or what we thought were just physical problems. So you use the new mental tool to apply to the problem. And mm. so, you know, like, and then people start, it's the new mental tool, both and, and then those people take it too far and they think everything's both and and there's no clear-cut things and they become all fuzzy-wuzzy, wishy-washy and annoying in a different way. But anyway, that's not the point. So all these things, I think, is just uh, thinking. You don't, thinking isn't done directly. It's done through tools, mental tools. If you think of, like, maths, you don't one by one do all the math, the, do all the maths. You yeah. usually there's a trick. You learn the trick for long division, or you write out like this. Then you learn a trick for doing it in your head without writing down. Then you there's all these little tricks and rules that somebody teaches you, and geniuses real no find them themselves or whatever. And uh, then that's what you used to think. So thinking this actually goes back to Francis Bacon. Actually, he says that the thinking and I'll have to look up the, the right of the this is the root of, of modern science is that you intellect uses tools as well in the same way as the human hand uses tools to get things done tools as intermediaries you don't just directly do everything with your bare hands the mind uses mental tools to get things done too and uh, that's what science is the mental tools to do things with not just to think about you know yeah so so it sounds as if when you do an exercise with someone 
and they have a pattern, a pattern that feels familiar, and that's the homeostatic response to the environment is just that pattern that feels legitimate. And then you're trying to introduce a conscious total framing of the actual real-time movement. So it's not just relaxing and trying to notice sensations. It's it's a higher order of function where you're inducing a, a real movement in real time. You're coupling cognition with that. So you're cu coupling, I guess, awareness through video or through observing what's going on. And in some sense, then, what that's creating is a conceptual layer that creates a, a higher order of conscious orientation of the body in space and this is kind of like where you're saying <clears throat> where you're saying that all posture has to be conscious it's a conscious or, or in, in your model of posture that it's always going to be conscious because it, it quite literally is you're like you're making what is unconscious conscious as a, as a means to change the governing concept of the posture and all the interactions that have to do with with that model of posture so it makes sense. I think I'm picking out what you're putting down there. It's uh, it's interesting. A lot of somatic work uh, just focuses on proprioception. So you lie down and then you just notice what's going on in the body with sensations, but that's fundamentally not consciously directed action that that is changing the layers, the physiological layers of reactivity that give rise to character and and how the uh, organism acts in space. So it's very interesting. It's an interesting difference. And it is a higher order of executive uh, function, I think, without a doubt, that definitely uh, qualifies. And the mind is involved in that. But you can't, it's not really a thought, is it? It's more a, a sense thing, a, a sense thought, or a, how would you put it? I don't even know. Maybe there is a word for it. I'm, I'm not sure, you know, which is different, fundamentally different to proprioception somatic practices where people just focus on sensations and what things feel like and which is in a sense really just noticing uh reactivity and it's not fundamentally changing anything it's just a process of uh sitting there looking at feelings uh, looking at sensations uh, whereas your work uh, seems to be from what i've done to be the opposite it's about kind of taking that higher order uh cognition and thinking and then truly uh, imposing a new concept. And, uh, I, you know, I was thinking, is there a word for that? That new uh, understanding of that uh, process of posture of the body in space, uh, the, the cognitive awareness from videotape and various other things. Is, is there a word for that? Because the concept in a way is not a particularly a good word. It's uh, not really it. And you were saying before, it's not, could it be like a conscious dash process or a process consciousness? I mean, how would you describe it? Is there a word for that? I, I don't think there is. I've never heard of one, but I could be wrong. Oh, sure, because it's it's a mixture. I tend to just throw the word psychophysical at things to cover yeah, all these okay. things. But uh, yeah, it's like that you can't separate the, more like a sort of a, I don't know the word yet, but it's like a, the sort of negative definition would be you, it's impossible to separate the intellectual, the conceptual side of it, the mind side of it from the physical, the body side of it. 
that they're intertwined even more than not even intertwined even still sounds like there's two things mixed together but it's even more um, interconnected than that it's like they're like different levels of the same thing so yeah i mean you're changing the one level there's a concept that's changed but you can think of that almost like a rule or a structure that's a but at the same time there's also one particular a change in a particular place with particular things you know there's like a kind of universal structure abstract concept but at the same time it's one particular example is your arm, your shoulder, your body, your breathing, whatever it is, not someone else's. And depending on the thing, some things in life are more at the concept level without very much physical math, for example. But if you look at the maths, you know, like it's very, comes from embodied, you know, the, the, it's embodied metaphors. The mathematical stuff is embodied metaphors, you know, like arithmetic counting up that comes from the you know, little child piling up bricks there's more now take away bricks there's less you know what i mean it's like uh all these they're not completely separate from the physical world as they seem something like um, pure maths uh, craft aircraft fly for a reason right like yeah it's um intimately connected with the exactly. physical world yeah and then there's things that seem very very just physical but actually there's quite a lot of concept into them so like uh, posture is the example i always use you know the feels like it's just a physical thing. So you just need to maybe do a certain few physical movements, some weights or whatever, and change the physical shape. And then it'll just do it by itself. You know, it's like sort of actually it's your conceptions about the movements and your, it's an even higher level meta conception above that, which is how do I respond to feelings of movement? Do I just go with the feeling thing or do I say, okay, there's a feeling that I'm doing something, but I'll check in other ways, you know, like that's a higher level and whether you the principle you use to go into action, do you just immediately go straight for the goal or do you reason out, do you indirectly reason out the best method to the goal and then start implementing the plan towards the goal? Or do you just jump at it? Some things in life is better to jump at, it. you know, in evolution, definitely. Other things in a more complex society with uh, technology, uh, it's better to reason things out indirectly and, and resist the temptation to jump straight at the goal, resist the temptation to get the thing so you know like in posture that they, they get the thing is stand up straight with shoulders back oh, that's what i want i'll just quickly do it turns out that concept is wrong never mind the method isn't doesn't work but the concept itself is wrong because when you pull the shoulders back like that it prevents you using stretching fascia on the back and prevent you using um, biomechanical springs that everybody has that you have to use your body in a certain way for them to happen this is all a mix between concepts and physical so like there really is fascia structures elastic connective tissue you know if it's pulled, it will stretch and resist and pull back. You know, exactly like an elastic band. You pull the elastic band, pull your hands apart, the elastic band will resist. So you've got the elastic tension there. Your hands are no longer moving, but you're, the elastic band is tense in the middle and you go one hand and it'll ping. That is like a model, a concept, or a general rule. But in the book, you're working with the particular concrete circumstances of your back and the, this elastic tissue that functions in the same way in your back. You can see that even to explain that, I've had to go from physical concept back to physical. It's like you can't separate them. And in terms of the the way I teach for people to use the fascia, is uh, it's impossible to do it just by physical things. You can't have a therapist come in and move you into position. It just doesn't last for very long because part of the fascia system is your conscious intentions. What you're in each moment choosing to do or not to do and how you're yeah. coordinating multiple movements. It's You and have then- to do that. Yeah. And, and again, that's, it's that, that is a form of reactivity. It's the same kind of thing as, or species is where thoughting comes from, right? Getting a therapist to do it because you're still being passive and reactive. You're just, you're not exercising a higher executive control over the process. Yeah. It's just giving away responsibility. Somebody fix me, fix me, please. 
So um, in this, uh, so uh, to bring it full circle, I think, with uh, your work, so with the people that have gone through it, and I, I must admit, I, I did do it for a while and life just got in the way and I haven't proceeded too far with it yet. But what, what do you notice happens to thoughting as people go through the process? Like if people described like outcomes, they think less, they're le less reactive. I mean, what, what are some of the practical outcomes so people can uh, get an understanding of how this kind of physiological work would impact? Well, here's, here's one that a new pupil just said to me yesterday, the day before. He said uh, he's only had one, at that point, he'd only had one, and I taught him some movements and explained what was going on, what he was currently doing, you know, like so he could think about it in a different way. And then we did some new movements with it, using the new concepts using the new uh, understandings and uh, he told me he was sleeping better he's already sleeping better so that i so if someone says oh better posture because people often ask me what's the best sleeping position for posture so it isn't a complex question mm. so well, I, I can't be more going into it now because it's, it's a complex question in different ways so when people hear that they think oh well it's physical okay your posture's better so you're not sore during the day so you'll sleep better night because your back isn't hurting so there's a or whatever so that's an element of truth to that in this case i think it's more likely to be because there's new conceptual understanding of oh now i understand what's been going wrong i'm not happy with now i have a method for fixing it so there's a relief from how i have your thinking can go oh place for me now i know what i can do i can do something now because i have new ideas and concepts to work with new mental tools to work with now element of relief from that and one of the things we're working with is you know you're instructing yourself to do movements so when you're going to sleep you now realize you're not just at the mercy of what your body's telling you comfort you can actually order some movements around it's really subtle so it's more that's just an example of how you can't separate the conceptual intellectual from the physical if you're doing it in in the way that i call psychophysical or if you're doing both at the same time it related to that as a guy told me a while ago he said he cured his insomnia from doing this because i was giving him instructions of movements so the instructions where i will do you know based on his situation it was just movements to do with the leg and the torso in relation to the leg and movements of the pelvis and the upper torso so i was getting to do these movements together quite basic it was like three or four movements at the same time it's actually not that basic for Lots of people actually, but I was doing like three, having to do three or four movements at a time, but he wasn't just doing them based on feeling. I was giving him explicit instructions. I will pull part A away from part B at the same time as I pull part B away from part, part C away from part D. Something like this. Okay. I don't remember the exact movements for him. I was naming the real part in, in the lesson. I'm naming the body parts. You know, I have technical definitions of parts. I'm not saying part X. Anyway, so the point was he had never done this before. He'd never done movements where you're actually explicitly instructing the movements. You know, you're clarifying what it is you actually want to do and how the parts relate to one another. So then when normally what happens is he goes into the, what we're saying now is would be the default mode network or do thoughting, lying down, can't sleep, just going round and round circles. Like this guy, he was like a, he was a guy who was doing like a, you know, like a very technical job. I think, I think he was a trader or an economist or something like this. And uh, so he, those type of guys are thinking about those things when they're in bed, so I sleep, mm. you know, those just yeah. going around in circles. So they're like, um, just things they've been thinking about all day, <laughs> just carry on when you lie in bed, obviously. And uh, so you may be thinking, but then that becomes thoughting when you're trying to sleep. You know what I mean? So there's a, it's not clear, like you said earlier, it's not clear what thinking was thoughting. So oh. anyway, so he said that he just told himself to, you know, lie down to do it and go to sleep. So he just, he realized that you, your words are tools to command yourself and you obey yourself too. So that worked for him. So you would never, that's, you would never think of that as a solution to insomnia. You know, it's 
completely counterintuitive. Mm. I'm using these examples because I'm trying to demonstrate the interlinking between the two, the two sides of it, between the words on one hand and the movements on the other. Specifically, it was after uh, proceeding through the work for some time. More energy is a good one. You have more energy, yeah, more, more springiness. Energy. Do you get a qualitative uh, reduction in predominantly existing in, in the frame of thoughting? Like, uh, you know. Oh, yes. That's do, right. so. I forgot. What we're, I actually forgot yeah. what we were talking about first. Sorry. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah. You have to remember, I'd also done other work with kind of some art. So that quietened down a lot of the dialogue and stuff already. So I already knew how to do that a little bit. Well, quite a lot, actually. But um, this, what tends to happen is you become better at at uh, thinking what i mean is if you have problems you're just less you get less distracted without trying to be less distracted you just find yourself focusing on the thing because you're solving the problem and you're thinking it through and there's less noise much more more signal less noise in your inner dialogue i can sit now and like i not think anything really just it can be silent but then i can go straight into intellectual problem solving straight after you know it's not like uh, i never used to be able to do that before i did it the way i'm doing it now i used to be zoned out, spaced out, head could easily be in the list out of silent meditator kind of thing. But then with this, I, could, I find I can, I can solve problems. I, when someone's talk, one of the main big things I noticed is when someone was talking to me, it was a stranger came to the door with a delivery or it was a delivery for someone else, some trauma, and they were looking for the person. And while they were talking to me, I was completely focused on what they were saying and I was I was like trying to solve the problem in the head and try to figure out who it was and all this stuff. It wasn't in my house, it was someone else. And uh, it actually occurred to me at the time, I thought, oh, I'm actually thinking about what's happening now. I'm not having my own drama in my head, waiting for him to finish speaking so I can say my thing and get out of this awkward situation, which I, re- which I hadn't realized I'd had my whole life, this kind of awkward social thing, uh, because you're like hiding from direct awareness of the person, but without realizing it. This is years ago. And uh, ever since then, I just, um, the face-to-face speak, communicating with somebody, it's completely different. It's just listening to the things they're saying. Usually they're not using words as tools. They're just blind else, emotional or it's whatever. But you you just get, um, it's just the noise gets quieter. But you still have to work and think and put the effort in. But it's nowhere near as tidy as it was before. I mean, I struggled to remember like two movements at the same time before. So I've been really to move my knee, this, this, this. I want to move my top of the pelvis, this other direction. I want them to happen at the same time. I want this, you know, like. Try to remember it in words to get it to actually happen in reality. You have to clarify it in words because otherwise it's just a bunch of half-baked feeling thoughts, feeling thoughting. You're just kind of wanting over there and you're not really clear what it is. Your body just doesn't know what to do either. Of course it doesn't. You're not clear. Yeah. So, and just I, I in terms of reading as well, longer, more complex than I used to, uh, and keep the idea read like an old book where they just lay you other know, on and it's all connected and uh, long sentences. And as a modern person with the internet, you're not used to this anymore. Much better that now. This is from working with clarifying bodies. It's the working on the body can help your thinking, and working on your thinking can help your body. Yeah, mate, and it makes sense. You know, even from a neurophysiological perspective, it makes sense if you're growing connections between all the various centers that are involved in these processes and actions, and it just makes sense that executive functions, uh, like reading a boring, long book that isn't uh, summarized in a thread uh, would also become easier. It, it does make sense, right? So, I, I, thing. Yeah. In, in what's the structure of things and how are things interconnected at all? You're always like, what's the whole and mm. back to the whole rather than just being drawn into each word and each sentence and each or each feeling, each sensation. It's the same problem. Thoughting is just yeah, getting, is. you're getting drawn, you're 
when you're thoughting, you're not doing something. You're giving consent to each thing. A pop, an idea pops into your mind. You go, oh, yeah, and you go along with that. You start thinking about that more. You just gave consent to this thing that appeared. Your sensation, you start thinking about, you know, you're so quick, you don't realize that you're, you have the intention to direct your attention on that thing that just appeared. You know what I mean? So, like, your attention is volitional. You decide where you're going to put it. But it's so quick, people don't even realize they're doing it. They just get a feeling, and then they're immediately down in the feeling in their back, the pain in the back, they're immediately in the feeling in the back, and then they move it around a bit, try and make it feel a bit more comfortable, and they're like, that's just completely, they're at a victim of that feeling now. They're just reactive, you know, reactivity, as you were saying. And uh, you don't need to, you can drop the intention to control your attention by putting it on that thing that's just appeared. You don't need to do it, but you will automatically do it because that's the habit. You can train yourself. You have to train yourself is what boils down to. So meditation, other movement practices, if it's an intelligent movement practice, one involves thinking, complex motor activities will work. You just say no. So things will pop up. This is like people have this false kind of romantic image of being focused where I'm going to be focused on only thing, I'll work on this one thing and nothing else will come into mind. No, it's not what happens. What happens is you just learn to consent to things that ask you for your attention keep appearing that everything wants your attention well am i going to put my attention on that follow that and say yes to that i'll just say no not now it just drops away it might reappear mm. straight after and then you just drop the intention to follow again so like to me focus is uh it's negative it's dropping the intentions to follow dropping your intentions to just follow whatever things appear and only being left with the one thing that you want to do rather than mm. try to hammer and force yourself to stay on the one thing you know what i mean it's different mm. You're basically just dropping all the other things. And then eventually things bother you. So it's not like, first of all, it's like a computer game. You're trying to get rid of all the things, you know, trying not to respond to all the things and react to them. And then eventually they just stop pestering you as much and it's less things. Or you'll get one or two things will come through really strong. And these are kind of your issues. It's usually the little things that are bothering you. Usually there's some emotional thing behind it as well. So you can Mm -hmm. get to the root of these things as well. Kind of a type of. Well, it's kind of self-therapy by accident, I suppose you do, just by sheer awareness. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned uh, commanding yourself because uh, the Zen master I teach with, he says that a very effective technique, if you're having a lot of uh, thoughting going on during Zazen, is to just uh, very loudly and firmly say no to yourself, which is, uh, you know, it's actually very effective. Very yeah, effective. well, that's it. It's your withholding consent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in, like, because you... Because that's like you have to, it's really useful to get clear on the difference in, in attention and intentions because they're connected. You know, like your attention, you can have an intention to control your attention in certain ways or to just let, or not to control it and just let things come up. That's another type of meditation you can do. You don't need to, you just drop the intentions to follow anything and then see what comes next, see what comes next. You know? and the other, just quickly on that, the other, I did notice uh, when editing the Christopher Hyatt uh, seminar video which is happening, by the way, I just had not had much time lately, that there's several sections where people are being given commands and they just can't follow them. It's actually quite funny uh, to watch. Did you notice that when you, you know, were involved in that kind of thing or there were several instances uh, where... Uh, I don't remember the exact incidents, but yeah, I mean, I get this all the time in my lessons all the yeah, time. These just yeah. simple commands, people can't follow them. And it's not that they're a bad person and they're not... No. It's that people in general just aren't trained to connect words to actions now the so words are just this thing you do in your head and then so when they actually hear words at the command if they want to do them they just can't remember them all because they sure. don't know what the structure of it how it connects they, they they're just not used to convert translating the words into actions so like i start very basic pick up yeah. can you pick up the stick in your right hand can you hold it as if it's a sword can you 
show me which end of the stick would be the tip of the sword. Okay, this end, you know, the far end. Okay, now, can you do a movement that would make the tip of the sword touch the bottom of your sternum bone with your elbow pointing forward? So then they'll try and do it. They'll do it in a way that doesn't do that, or they'll put it picked up in the wrong hand, or they're not holding it like a sword. You know, I mean, no one, mm. like they're holding it a weird way, not how you'd hold yeah. a sword. Again, that's a mental tool. It's not really a sword, it's just a stick. And I'm just trying to get them to do a movement with the shoulder. And they just can't follow basic commands in the beginning. But then this mm. is where you train. They follow my commands first, and then they start giving themselves commands. And then they're following their own commands. And it's kind of a way of developing uh, discipline. But in the seminar, I don't remember. What, what was the example you saw? Well, the, there were several people on the couch and uh, they were on the mattress or whatever it was. And they were being directed to do certain movements. And they just, yeah, basically the same thing you're describing now. They couldn't like do it properly. They couldn't follow commands. I think at some point, um, Dr. Hyatt explicitly uh, mentioned it about this particular individual having trouble following through with with commands. And I think he didn't castigate them, but he was like, you, you've, you've always had trouble following commands, haven't you? Or something like that, you know, putting them on the spot uh, as he does, which yeah, I just, just thought was interesting. Sure. The other thing is, uh, just in terms of this, uh, I suppose, as, as we finish up, is you know people's uh, labeling and uh, thoughting is actually quite low resolution and uh one of the good exercises calvin uh, recommends is to write uh, write labels on a window in in non obviously non-permanent marker if anyone tries <laughs> make sure you got the right pens you go up to a window and you sit down and then you right over the top, uh, you know, like tree or bird or, you know, uh, something like that, things that you see outside. And then, um, you know, after a little while of doing that, then write your thoughts on the window. So your uh, upper level uh, thoughts sort of popping up. And if you know, maybe then try to write them in a different language. And um, at some point, uh, the exercise becomes so ridiculous uh, that it shows the absolute you know, disconnectedness um, that we typically experience in day-to-day -day consciousness, you know, and that, that thoughting type consciousness, it just really highlights and drives home the disconnect between words and like actual objects as they are and just how random, you know, thoughting can be. It's fucking out of, so disconnected sometimes. It's quite absurd. So yeah, it was interesting uh, exercise that he mentions as a way of highlighting this. So I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of this, uh, and it sounds like, you know, the work you're doing is very much geared towards making the cognitive process of thinking tangibly connected to things that are actually happening and where words are involved and concepts are involved. They're involved to offer a very high resolution cognition of, of things that are happening. Even if someone thinks in, in images, even if they're yeah. thinking in images, often it's like there's there's words and concepts there because the, the image is defined and created because they understand the concepts. Sure, in the word, like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like uh, someone looks like a, I made myself look like a genius at chess once, even though I can't play chess, I'm rubbish at it, but I just learned this trick for beating people in four moves, so I chucked <laughs> two guys at a party, they the were mouthing off how good at chess they were, so I said yeah. I'd beat them both, mouthing off, I just mouthed off back, and uh, I mean, it's ridiculous, two people completely, they, they were thinking two people was an advantage, I don't see how two people was an advantage in chess, but anyway, there was oh. two of them, and then I did this, <laughs> One simple trick of four moves, beat them, and you know they were wanting to fight me and stuff. But I, I that was just like pure trickery. It was like I, I just knew the I just knew the trick and did it, and looked like I knew I was great at chess. It wasn't it was a lie. So you can do that with it. There's many things people are doing that where are are it's like that where they know the tricks of thinking tricks, 
whether it's maths or uh, coders, I'm sure do it. And, you know, whoever. Athletes have tricks as well. There's certain things they think or do at certain points that they know helps them. You know, they sometimes it's higher level cognitive control, you know, like, yes, you're tired now, but you'll get your second win soon. Or whether it's, uh, you know, I really have to, when I do this, when I'm swinging the golf club like this, I, I know it always feels wrong at a certain point, but I just do it anyway, even though it feels wrong, because I know that's, I know from practice, that's what works better, even though it feels a bit weird, uh, rather than just try and make it feel nice. So that's, again, this higher cognitive control. So like uh, all the time we're using this stuff, you know, like sometimes yeah. it's more explicit than others, but we, we, and when someone becomes really dysfunctional, it's when they, it's completely separated. There's just no connection at all. And like a proper person in a proper, the old style asylums where the insane would be, that's what they're like. It's just, they have all their own symbology and uh, words and all these things mean things to them in their head, but have no connection or with the structure of the outside world. And they're just crazy. We just see them as crazy, but really what's happening is they're all their thinking is completely disconnected from outside. So whatever they say or see or think, no one can relate to it because, or they, they can relate to it in certain degrees where it meets reality and where it doesn't. And uh, some of the people working with them will try and, under, you know, they, they work to understand the structure of this, the symbols the person's using internally, and then they try and help them that way. But at the end of the day, they only become normal or okay is when they start being able to function by doing things. You know they're functional because they're doing things. You know, they're not just sitting, rocking back and forward shouting at random words or whatever it is. I mean, Krasinski is good in that. I mean, the whole idea, the book is called Science and Sunny because that's what he's saying. He's saying when people are totally lost in abstractions, it's whether they're philosoph- whether they're in schizophrenics and in a staying asylum or whether they're professors of philosophy who are just completely lost in these abstractions that aren't connected with reality and they have it upside down where they think the words are the real thing and then you fit reality in after rather than... The words meant to be coming from abstracted out of the reality. It's, that's why he called science and sunny. It's the same issue, and those. It's, it's probably the best book for dealing with thoughting, really, if I think about it. It's quite good. You know, according to Ian uh, McGilchrist, schizophrenia is a left brain overemphasis or dysfunction. So I always, in a way, logically would have thought it would have, have something to do with the right hemisphere of the brain, but no, apparently it's completely a left brain uh, problem, which makes sense. Uh, in regards to what you're putting down here, sure, because it is kind of like a disembodied, abstract uh, disconnection from a holistic. Yeah, and there's that. There's a book also that one of McGilchrist's influences in in his uh, first book, Master and Emissary. I forget the name of it, but it's about it's basically schizophrenia and modernism and schizophrenia, or something like this is called. And uh, the guy was showing how there was a relationship between some of the more abstract, weird art movements they got more and more abstract and away from reality and this was kind of linked to this kind of thing there's a similar way of thinking as schizophrenia and stuff and yeah that would make sense left i mean a left-brained art would be very abstract and a lot of contemporary art is actually very left-brained where they just have some bad political metaphor and then just to <laughs> just find some trash or whatever to, mm. to demonstrate this metaphor that's just really just a juvenile political opinion you know polluted brains is still connected to mus- muscle and sinew <laughs> so yeah so yeah thoughting can still be very de- well look, look at everything everything is determined by thoughting really isn't it i mean there's so few people well, that know the difference they just go around talking yeah sorry yeah it's, i mean it's, the words are desperate to get out so like if the person's mm. not putting them to action in a structured way you know using them as tools to do things and to create things and whatever they the person's forced to get them out by just verbalizing nonsense on the internet 
Yeah. Like it needs a it needs it needs an outlet. So like as we say, it's still connected to issue and whatever. So the person does translate it into actions in a way, but it's completely dysfunctional and disconnected. It's disconnected. It's the words are disconnected from the actions. That's what the thing is. And that's in, in my work. That's gradually building up the connection between those. I mean, I don't talk about it explicitly like this in the lesson because it's distracting. But that's what we're doing. We're just uh, gradually making the thoughts link up with the actions. And then verifying that they actually happened using video rather than just going by the feeling, because that's part mm. of the problem. The first thing to feeling automatically for everything is uh, art of thoughting. They're, they're not separate things, really. Mm. Interesting. But the words, yeah. thoughting is just feel the words, you know, it's yeah. like uh, the word of the feelings that they're experiencing and maybe you, you won't uh, agree with this in its totality but in my opinion the feeling of self is really just grabbing on to thoughting for most people like it's there's there's nothing particularly conscious or directed about their their thinking and what they so, uh, determine yeah. as as their self and uh, one of the ways i like to explain quote unquote no self which is a, a term that really hurts feelings and understandably so when you uh, really get angry about that like some people do it is a challenging outlook but i think it's it's kind of true in a sense because if you're just thoughting all the time and then you go and do an exercise you could do the posture exercise uh, or you could uh, you know whatever you want to do. You could do a bit of yoga, you do meditation, and then 20 minutes later, your entire sense is completely changed. And the self that was being reactive before and all the things you thought uh, were important completely drop away. And your uh, feeling of what happens is completely different. Then what does that imply about, uh, about the self? Um, certainly implies that what we commonly think of the separate self is is clearly nonsense and uh, a lot of the things that we uh, cherish really just products of a detrimental physiology uh, in many cases um, and, uh, and by definition not consciously directed the values uh, and morals and opinions that we all go around blabbering on about uh, likewise not self-directed or very rarely are for most people they're just kind of like these uh, flailing robots just blabbering out their programming and uh i would like to think that this kind of uh dualism between thinking and thoughting is uh useful for uh breaking down these tendencies and to become a more conscious uh, willful and uh, directed human being which is I guess what the bio-individual path is all about. Um, so yeah, those are my finishing words. Do you have any uh, anything you'd like to finish with? Have I missed anything? I don't think I have. But um... No, that's a good way. It's just that the relationship between th thought and thinking, they're both going to be happening all the time. It's not like there's, you don't want to get into like this idea of some utopian world of clear thinking and you're not going to have any random thoughts and all that. That's not going to happen. All that's going to happen is you're just going to gradually get more to the thinking side and lower the thoughting side and you can have moments where you're completely clear and silent if you're doing different practice and then you have other moments where you're just really struggling to think things through and reasoning and uh, thoughting's interfering with it and it's you know you but you're still having to do it anyway and uh, so it's useful to remember that they're both intertwined the same way as conscious and unconscious are intertwined some things are coming up some things are affecting you some things aren't and it's just a case of a higher level is more for guiding and directing you as a whole rather than top down total control it's not like that it's more kind of you just need to stop thinking about these things as being separate very good and and the quality of the thoughting can change uh drastically as well which is important to remember with 
right yes. exercises. Yeah. We can talk yeah, about that. Yeah, you get nicer thoughts. Or... There's nothing. Yeah, I mean, I'm always saying bad things about people chasing good feelings, but the, you know, better feelings are nicer than worse yeah, feelings, sure. obviously. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll uh, so take it's nice how feelings you get every them. time. It's how you get yeah. them, you know, and some yeah. people are a bit too much on the no pain, no gain side of it. And uh, yeah. I'm not really like that, but I'm also not on the everything needs to feel good side either. And, and, uh, and to make sure that they don't get in the way of the higher executive functionality of living life, um, because you're a, you're a human being, you're not a mollusk. So, um, you know, in that respect, um, you know, remember these things are magical as well. So people have it or they think that the higher end, higher level reasoning and thinking that is somehow not natural and everything else Mm. is natural. Mm. Well, it's grown up. Look at the brain, the way the brain is structured. It's grown up on top of the plant. There's all these other things. So if you want to just drop all the thinking and be on intellectual and just get back in the body, then you're, you're devolving. You're being anti-human, but also that doesn't mean it's separate. than you, you know, it's a you don't need to make a dualism out of it. There's different levels right. of the same thing going on. Yeah, different and scoops it, of the ice cream cone. Sure, and and if you you know if you want to use a dualism for uh, you know a metaphorical purpose, so for example, I, I was writing recently on Heraclitus and this idea of the unity of opposites and how having opposites functioning harmoniously uh, is very important. And I think that these things can be thought of probably in that sense, definitely physiologically, they can. So there's a time to be active, there's a time for rest. And if you can maximize all these different things, seeing them for what they are not indulging in just one thing, but uh, trying to maximize the uh, amplitude of each of these things, then you're just going to be more human, a more effective uh, human being. And uh, the the ability to relax, for example, uh, the ability to switch off is going to accentuate the things that you want to do with the higher executive function and uh the opposite is true as well uh, as we've just been talking about so yeah i uh i love it it's a good chat you just need to think of thinking as another organic function yeah. rather than it being separate from everything else and uh it's, you know it's it's for doing practical things with if you just do things with it then it's a lot of these problems just resolve themselves and it's not even an issue anymore yeah you, there's no space for all of the thawing it's just not it's just there's other things coming up now. Yeah. Spend hard time thinking of solving a problem. The solutions and ideas for that problem will come in your head later, whether you want them or not later, because you've put the time in earlier. Well, that's coming in instead of thawing. You know, Which is, like, of course, uh, in, it, in are, a real sense, that's what the thoughting is actually doing. So the default mode network is mulling over things. So your experience of the thoughting is actually that process of, you know, the brain or whatever trying to work out the answer that comes to yeah. you later. Yeah, you're as well choosing yourself, go. intentionally choosing... Yeah. That which things you want to mull over that are useful to for you practically, because your brain's going to be mulling over and making associations anyway, to a certain level. So you're all just putting in the ones you want and uh, dropping the intentions to follow the ones that you don't want. But that's training yourself. It's not like a decision. You have to train yourself to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm still terrible at it compared to, but I just much better than I was. And I'm comparing me to before. I'm not comparing me to someone who's already much better at this stuff than me. Yeah. Uh, that's like, that's, that's a mental tool, actually, you know, like to do that. Don't like you're, you're going to, as a human, you're going to be comparing things. Part of being human is comparing things. You know, there's like evolution reasons for comparison, either or comparing things. You know, sometimes you have to, it's this or that, you have to decide. But uh, so you'd be as well learning to compare things in a more useful way. And it's more useful mm-hmm. to compare yourself your older behavior than, and compare now to then than it is to compare you now to someone else now. It's stupid. Yeah, well, you're, you're the only they have a completely different history. Sure. And you're the only metric yeah. you can usefully 
measure yourself against anyway i guess are you really but that isn't something i came to i didn't come to that by feeling that i heard Mm. someone say something like that and i thought oh that's a good idea so it's totally Mm. conceptual and then i started applying it to myself doing something with it so like it's it's not separate you know these are like it's a feeling now but it wasn't then as an idea and then when i started you know i remember in the beginning you know you're struggling it feels wrong when you start doing things the first time but if you've thought, if you're actually thinking, you know this is the right thing to do, or you at least it's the thing you're going to attempt to do this time to see what happens, and uh, you can just get yourself to do it. Then you're not relying on this. You're not trying to replace it with a different feeling of discipline or a feeling of you know no pain no gain, or you're not swapping it for another feeling. You're using the higher level thinking to order yourself around, no matter what you feel like within reason. That's the way I look at it. So it's not like it's more like a warm cozy self-discipline rather than a hard harsh self-discipline yeah